if you are sick, injured, don't feel well, you've been diagnosed with a disease, there's something horrible going on inside your body where you don't feel 100%. If you were to be in the Guinness Book of World Records for the fastest recovering person ever from that particular medical challenge, how long would that be? How quickly can you recover from feeling less than 100% to being back to 100%. And when it comes to injury, sickness, disease, virus, germ, bug, all the things that happen to the human body that make us feel less than 100%, uh, there's a lot of argument. It's a controversial topic. And that's why I always bring my teddy bear because uh, it makes it easier to talk about awkward, uncomfortable topics. Uh, I have no answers to the questions uh, of... Uh, how quickly can I recover? Should I exercise when I'm sick? Uh, what kind of exercise should I do if I'm injured or if I'm sick? Uh, because there's a lot of uh, controversy. There's a lot of argument about what you should do if you are sick, if you're injured. Uh, should you rest? Should you do active recovery? Should you do uh, very active recovery? But I've got some really important questions. And that's all I like to do is as an exercise professional, I don't think any of us uh, can tell people what to do because who knows your body better than you do. It's easy for an expert to say you should do this, but do they know your body? And then the next really complicated part about experts is the experts very rarely agree. So, and I'll use just an example. Recently, a, a, a special person in my life who's a nurse shared with me that she'll often be in a situation where one doctor will say, uh, give this person this medication, otherwise they will die. And another doctor says, don't give them that medication, otherwise they will die. And as a nurse, she's often right in the middle. What do I do? Two doctors, same qualifications, same years of experience, but two completely diverse and different ideas, opinions, diagnosis. And that's usually what happens when it comes to uh, an injury, a sickness, a disease, a virus, and even up to terminal illness. What should I do? So I don't have the answers to what we should do. I just have some questions that I always like to ask of medical professionals and of people that are giving out advice about what we should do as humans for our human body. And the other question I always ask is this, as an exercise professional, as a parent, teacher, coach, somebody who's responsible for helping people to stay healthy and or recover from being unwell to get back to being healthy, how much should we know and understand about the human body? How much of our anatomy and physiology should we be able to uh, analyze and research for ourselves so that we can ask the right questions. And I, me as an exercise professional, I've never, I'm certainly not an endocrinologist or an oncologist or a cardiologist or an orthopedic surgeon or, or, or any, any ologist. <laughs> uh, that's not my area of expertise. I'm an exercise professional who specializes in getting people fit and strong. And I would like to keep people fit and strong for the rest of their life. How about you? So my question is always, how much should I keep learning about my anatomy and physiology or about human anatomy and physiology and how the body systems work together so that when I am confronted with, and I don't want to go to an oncologist or a cardiologist or an orthopedic surgeon, but if we ever have to go there and ask questions, should we go there with in-depth understanding of how A, our own body works and what we're capable of doing, 
and then some really good questions about how the human body works so that we, we don't get bamboozled. Because if we come across uh, a diagnosis, for example, and a doctor says you should do this, uh, or you have this and this is what's going to happen to you, would it be, number one, a great idea to get another opinion? Because is it possible that there's always diverse and opposing opinions? And regardless of what those opinions are from different medical professionals, should we be able to work it out for ourselves what's going to be best for us? So my first question is always this. What happens, uh, and my question is about being sick, being injured, being less than 100% healthy. What happens to the human body if it doesn't move, if it doesn't exercise, if it isn't active? And there's not too much argument from any medical professional that if your body uh, sits still, doesn't do anything, uh, and I'll use a quote from the medical professionals, uh, that sitting is the new smoking. Inactivity is the biggest killer in the world. There are some oncologists, for example, that suggest that a lot of reasons why we have so much more cancer in the world is because the human body has become inactive and our ability to fight any kind of germ, bug, virus or disease, any kind of weakening of the immune system happens because our body has stopped moving. We've become inactive. So our muscles get weak, our bones get weak, all of our immune system inside our bone Bones break down because we don't have the ability then to fight germs, bugs, viruses and diseases. And then, of course, the connection with the brain. So if we're not moving and we're not producing all the chemicals in the brain that, that give us a healthy brain, uh, and what does the brain control? So if our brain's rotting away, if our brain's not active, if our brain's not overloading with all the neurochemistry that keeps us happy and healthy... What, what happens then? <laughs> so one of the questions I always ask, every time somebody says you should have a rest, and it seems to be the go-to uh, problem, uh, diagnosis or recommendation after a diagnosis from most medical professionals. So if you've got a cold or a flu, you should rest. If you've got a sore foot, you should rest. If you've got a headache, you should rest. If you've, got, you've picked up a germabug or a virus, you should rest. But my question is always this, uh, if I have to rest, how long for? And I'll go back to my original question. What if I wanted to be the fastest recovering person ever from this particular medical challenge? What would put me in the Guinness Book of World Records uh, to make that happen? And just as an interesting side note for that, if you ask that question, watch the face of the medical professional that you've asked the question of. Because most people go in with the same uh, idea as the medical professional is going to tell them to do. I should rest. And in fact, have you noticed that some people use injury or illness or a cold or a flu or a virus as a reason to have a rest? It's a great uh, opportunity for me to have a holiday. Uh, but if you go to a medical professional and you say, okay, I don't feel well because I've got everything from a sore foot to a bad headache or some kind of virus or disease, how do I get out of this thing quickly? How do I become the fastest recovering person ever? And is it possible that that would put the doctor, the medical professional, into a different headspace? Because they're not dealing now with somebody that wants to have a rest, wants to take it easy, wants to recover slowly. They're actually dealing with somebody that's absolutely committed to recovering fast. And then the next thing that, uh, and it's an example I always use, uh, there are a lot of, it seems, a lot of medical professionals that uh, are not active themselves. So the information they give out is based on how they would 
uh, rest or recover or deal with a medical challenge. So a lot of medical professionals will say you should rest because they rest most of their lives. And I, I say this carefully because I don't want to be disrespectful. I really don't. But I'm very challenged by medical professionals who understand because they've been trained medically, uh, they should understand how the human body works. Uh, but when you look at them, they're either overweight or they look unhealthy or they seem stressed or they've got a negative attitude or there's lots of reasons why medical professionals aren't in peak physical condition. But I always question why not. If you have a really good understanding of how the human body works, could it even be disrespectful to not look after it? And if you are in a position where you are responsible for looking after other people's health, should you be uh, living the example of what healthy is? How can we take somebody seriously who isn't, uh, if they're a health uh, expert, how can we take them seriously if they're not healthy? If they're a medical expert and they uh, are not medically looking after themselves, how, uh, how can we take them seriously? Uh, so I'm asking the question very uh, personally because I'm in the middle. I'm like my nurse friend where uh, one doctor will say this and another doctor will say that. One expert, medical expert will say this and the other medical expert says exactly the opposite. And me as an exercise professional, I've often been caught in the middle with my client. So my client comes to me and says, this doctor said this and this doctor said that. What, Rowie, what should I do? And now we're in a situation where we have to make a decision because as a human being, who is ultimately responsible for our body? Who's got to make the ultimate medical decisions about uh, what we do, what medication we take, what interventions we get involved in, whether or not we exercise when we're sick? And of course, the people that have come to me uh, with, Rowie, please help me, I need advice for whether or not I should exercise when I'm sick or when I'm injured, usually comes because one medical person has said you shouldn't exercise and another medical expert has said, well, perhaps you should exercise or yes, you have to exercise. And now they don't know what to do. And a very personal example, uh, I, I share my, my mother was uh, diagnosed with a whole heap of things uh, and she was very medically unwell around about the age of 75. So she had, she was diagnosed with advanced osteoporosis. She was on beta blockers for high, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, and everyone in her family had heart challenges. Uh, she was on some serious uh, asthma medication, uh, type 2 diabetes medication because she was overweight, and she was in really bad shape. Uh, and v very, um, I can only put it, uh, I feel very privileged that when my mother came to uh, came in and I with her uh, medical diagnosis of advanced osteoporosis, came in who is, yes, a health scientist, yes, somebody who's got a large amount of logic and common sense, yes, somebody who's a sports strength and conditioning coach, and yes, somebody who, took, who wanted to take care of my mother. And that, I, I share that because often it's very difficult to uh, give information or, or help your own family. They tend to be a little bit standoffish. My mother certainly was. But came and took control of that situation. He got her exercising. And to cut a very long story short, we took her from advanced osteoporosis and on some serious medication, heart medication, type 2 diabetes medication, asthma medication. Uh, and she, we pretty much got her off all of her medication, bar uh, I think a half a, a, a serving of beta blockers. Uh, and she was on multiple pills for her heart. Uh, and she became a very healthy woman. 
physically and mentally, and but she was old. Uh, she was diagnosed with advanced osteoporosis. We then uh, got her exercising and lifting weights and boxing and running up and down stairs and swimming in the ocean and running on soft sand. And she got really fit and healthy. And at 80, she was diagnosed with slight osteopenia, which means we had reversed her osteoporosis because of all the activity she was doing, which is very exciting. But here's what happened. Uh, she ended up at a GP's office because she had a sore back. And it's interesting because we talk about when you sit and do nothing, your body uh, doesn't deal well with that. Well, my mother sat on a train for a very long time. It was like a three or four day trip across Australia. And when she got off the train, she had a very sore back. She'd been sitting for four days. And uh, as we know, the position for the human body is upright. We function so much more effectively in the upright position. And that's just common sense, isn't it? To hold ourselves upright, we require more energy. We require more muscles to be activated, which means the central nervous system has to fire more. The endocrine system has to work harder. Our skeletal and muscular system has to work harder. Our cardiovascular and respiratory system has to work harder. So upright is better than sitting. But anyway, after four days of sitting, uh, she had a very sore back. Someone in my family picked her up off that train and took her straight to the doctor because she was complaining about having a sore back. And this is where our challenge begins, because the GP that she went to told my mother that she was too old to be boxing, too old to be doing heavy strength training, too old to be running up and down stairs, uh, too old to be swimming in the ocean, and definitely too old to be running. So she should stop doing all of those things, and she should t take it easy. She should rest, because she was 80 years of age. Uh, and I'm going to ask the question again, if I don't do anything, what happens to my body? Uh, if I sit down for four days, how quickly could my body uh, slow down? How quickly could it get weak? And again, very privileged, when she got back from that trip and she shared with us that she wasn't going to be doing any of those things anymore because the doctor said, and that's my biggest challenge and it might, might be yours already, because there are a lot of medical professionals where their advice is don't do it, stop exercising, rest, take it easy. And you only have to look at hospitals. When you, when you get sick, they put you in a hospital and then they lie you down. Well, what happens to your body if you have to lie down in a hospital bed for a week or two weeks? When you get out of that thing, apart from the fact that you're in a hospital with lots of other sick people, there's a whole lot of other risks about hanging out with a whole bunch of sick people. But if you lay down for a week, God forbid, two weeks, your body will, will get significantly weaker in a very short period of time. So my mother comes back and says, no, I'm not going to be doing any of those things anymore because the doctor said. Uh, however, uh, there are different kinds of doctors. And K-Man had a very good relationship with a sports physician on the Gold Coast in Australia. So a doctor that isn't des uh, designed, doesn't have a headspace that is uh, sick, take a pill, Sports physicians' headspace tends to be athlete, get them back on the field, athlete, get them back in the ring, athlete, get them back in the pool, athlete, get them back to 100% as quickly as possible because they're an athlete, they do sport. So we took my mother to a sports doctor, which I think she felt a bit chuffed about because she was 80 and she was at the sports doctor. And Dr. Iamson made a statement, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's one of my favorite statements when it comes to exercise in general, and definitely when it comes to recovery from exercise. So he said, Mrs. Cesarin, yes, you have, uh, you have a sore back because you sat down for a long time. 
And there's a challenge with being inactive. But here's the other challenge. If you stop exercising, there's 100% chance if you don't exercise that you will die early. You'll die early with diseases. You'll waste away, rot away. You're more likely to get Alzheimer's and dementia. You're more likely to have very poor quality of life if you don't exercise. 100% chance that's going to happen. If you do exercise, there's about a 50% chance that you could sprain an ankle, you could sprain a muscle, you could uh, get bitten by a jellyfish in the ocean, you could drop a weight on your toe in the gym. There's a 50% chance that at some stage while you exercise, you will have some kind of injury, some kind of challenge. But if you don't exercise, there's a 100% chance that you will die early with poor quality of life and with some kind of illness, sickness and disease. And particularly you, Mrs. Cesarin, because based on your background, based on your medical history, based on what's happened to everybody else in your family that's died under the age of 60, if you don't exercise, you're going to go downhill real fast. So I'll I'll put that all into one simple statement. If you exercise, 50% chance you could get an injury. If you don't exercise, 100% chance you're going to die early with some kind of disease. So very privileged again that my mother took notice because it came from a different doctor this time and and maybe that's a really good message as an exercise professional for us to understand. We've got to find the right doctor. Every single medical professional has another medical professional with exactly the same qualification that will disagree with them. That just seems to be common practice. So as an exercise professional, do we need to find the healthy, fit, strong doctor that wants their patients to be healthy, fit and strong too long term? Then it comes down to each individual person. So who are we to say, who's a doctor to say, and who am I to say as an exercise professional, don't move, don't exercise. All the different diseases, and you can rattle them off, coronary heart disease, type 2 diabetes, osteoporosis, depression, obesity, sore feet, uh, sore neck, sore back, any kind of uh, muscular or joint injury, there's a whole heap of Uh, information that says you should rest. However, I'll use a joint injury for example. If I have a sore foot, I still have another foot and I still have the rest of my body. So why would I rest my entire body when I've got a sore foot? And I just think it's a really important question to ask. I don't want to injure my foot if if it hurts. I want it to get better. So maybe the, the, the injury needs to recover But is it possible that if I slow down my circulation and I slow down my vitamins and minerals and phytochemicals and antioxidants going through my body effectively, if my muscles start wasting away, if my head space starts getting negative or depressed or anxious, is it possible that my ability to recover fast will also slow down? So if I've got a sore foot, what if I still keep exercising? So I don't use that foot, but I have another foot and I have... Uh, two arms and a a torso and are there other things that I can do so even if I've got a sore foot could I still ride a bike could I still swim could I still box still could I still do exercises with my other leg and could I still do all of my upper body exercises and of course the answer is yes but it depends on the individual person because there are some people that just cannot wrap their head around I've got an injury I need to keep active And there are other people who can't wrap their head around, I've got an injury, why on earth would I stop exercising? I don't want my circulation to slow down. I don't want my body's ability to to look after itself, to be fit and strong, to slow down. So yes, I will work my way around that injury. So 
Could it be a great question to ask if you're an exercise professional and somebody comes to you with those two complete opposite diagnoses, don't exercise, you should exercise, could it be a great thing to ask, what do you want to do? What could happen to your body if you don't move it for a week or two weeks? Or And, so, and this is the really crazy one, and I'll, I'll, I'll rephrase because that sounds very uh, biased. But there are a lot of people who do come to me and they will come to you with a diagnosis from a doctor or some kind of allied health professional and it'll be like six weeks. You shouldn't do anything for six weeks or you shouldn't do anything for eight weeks or you should have a rest for three months. Uh, Can you imagine what happens to the human body if it's inactive for that length of time? That's a very, very long time and a lot of things can happen, degenerate, break down, rot away in, in that kind of time. Well, I'm not the person that wants to, that to happen to my body. So I'm one of those people that if, if a medical professional ever says to me, you have to have a rest, I will say, yes, I will rest my sore elbow, my sore foot, my sore knee, but I'm going to keep moving the rest of my body because I want to be in the Guinness Book of World Records for the fastest recovering person from this sore foot or this sore knee. Uh, the interesting one is a sore back, uh, about 80 to 90%, depending on the statistics that you see, uh, 80 to 90% of people in the world right now have some kind of lower back pain. And is it possible that that comes from sitting for too long? Is it possible that comes from being inactive? So our, our abdominal and lower back muscles waste away. So our ability to hold ourselves in the upright position becomes limited because those muscles become so weak. Is it possible there's a lot of overweight people, but they've got a lot of weight at the front of their body and it's pulling on their lower back muscles and causing pain? There's a lot of reasons why we have so much lower back pain now. But one of the diagnoses and then one of the prescriptions for lower back pain is to take a pill and to rest, take a pill and to rest. Well, I have lived with a perforated disc and a a serious lower back injury since I was 18 years of age. And I'm not sharing this with you because I think this is what you should do. I'm just sharing with you that there is an alternative to take a pill and have a rest. I was told that I would never be able to run again, I would never be able to lift heavy things again, and I would have limited capacity to move around because the damage I did to my back was significant. And when I say the damage I did to my back, I did it. I did thousands and thousands of sit-ups day after day after day, and I did them with a twist as well. So when you do this to your, to your lower back, and you do this and this and this, so you're twisting with rotation, twisting, sorry, uh, squeezing, and uh, shearing forces with rotation, you're going to wear the disc away, which is exactly what I did. So I have a serious back injury. In fact, a lot of uh, allied health professionals that have looked at my x-ray now, uh, and that happened when I was 18 and I'm now a very old lady, they'll say to me, we don't even know how you're walking around. How's it possible that with that kind of injury, you can still I still run every day and have done ever since then. I still lift incredibly heavy weight. And when I say heavy weight, uh, I have people half my age and less that don't lift the same kind of weight that I do. And that's only because I've gotten stronger as I've gotten older. But is it possible that regardless of what injury you have, that if you've got strong muscles supporting that injury... So if you've got strong muscles around your lower back, strong muscles around your knee, strong muscles around your elbow, strong muscles around your shoulder, that regardless of the injury that you have, even if it's a permanent injury, those strong muscles could help support that weakened part of your body. And if you don't maintain your muscle strength, if you don't maintain uh, 
the and it, it wastes away quickly. Uh, when we lift heavy things, yes, we have it. We tear or put micro tears in the muscle fiber. That uh, then puts the muscle into a weakened state, which then has to recover from the workout, regenerate from the workout, and then it gets stronger in case you do it again. So every time you lift something heavier than you did before, your body goes, well, if she ever does that to me again, I better be stronger for next time. So we have that process called supercompensation. Now, I probably need to put in there very importantly that one of the reasons why people get injured, of course, is it possible that because they don't give their body long enough to recuperate, regenerate, and supercompensate, that they keep wearing the joint down and the muscle doesn't get an opportunity to get stronger and that's why they get injured. So for some people, is it possible that a week off, two weeks off, three weeks off will actually help their muscles recover, regenerate, supercompensate, and they come back even stronger? And that's why I'm asking, please, could we treat every person like an individual? Uh, this blanket diagnosis of you should have rest if you've got a cold or if you've got a flu or if you've got an injury or if you've got a sickness uh, is a really interesting way to treat humans because we're all individuals. Uh, when it comes to something like uh, probably the horrible diagnosis, the most horrible diagnosis of all is some kind of terminal illness or a cancer. But again, the top oncologists in the world, the top cancer doctors, are all suggesting that if you are healthy, fit and strong, you're less chance to get cancer. If you are diagnosed with cancer, and even if you are inactive, the best thing you can possibly do is get really fit and really strong so that your body can fight uh, the, the chemotherapy, the body can fight uh, the, the horrible disease that's trying to take over your body. And you can't do that if you're weak and unfit. So it's suggested that you get fit and strong. And then if you uh, have, if, even if you get rid of your cancer, really good idea to stay fit and strong so it doesn't come back. So to be diagnosed, and they used to say this, oh, you've been diagnosed with cancer, so you need to rest now and go to bed and lie down. And of course, then the body wastes away. And then what happens? Uh, more chance of being even more sick from that horrible disease. So there's a classic example of this is a really important time to stay fit and to stay strong so you, your body can fight this horrible thing that's trying to kill it. When it comes to <coughs> excuse me, that thing, that cold thing, uh, I don't know how many times in your lifetime you've had a cold or a flu, and usually you, you can tell. You know that you've got the flu. It's one of those, no one needs to test you to say you've got the flu. You can usually feel it coming on. You've got achy bones. Uh, you get a sore throat, runny nose, and you're sick for a few days, depending on how fit and strong you are. Because have you noticed that really fit, strong people, even if they pick up a flu bug or a, a cold or some kind of virus, they get quick, uh, they get better much quicker. And the big one there is a fever. A really fit people will get a very intense fever. And what is fever? It's obviously your body heating up. When it heats up, it's there to kill the germs. So do we exercise during that time? And again, it's a really interesting question because most people when they're sick with a flu or a cold, they don't feel like it. They can't breathe properly. Their body feels weak and they don't want to do anything. But again, if you, if you are a person who is going to be, God forbid, you're sick for three, four days and you don't do anything for three, four days, what happens to your body if it doesn't do anything? It just, is it possible it could rot away, it could waste away, you could wait, you come out of that illness feeling quite weak. Uh, the reverse of that is if you move around and you have circulation, 
if you get fresh air and sunshine. And the really big one there is the sunshine because that's how your body produces vitamin D, which is a really important component of your immune system, which is the really important component of how to get better from a sickness. So one of the things that people tend to do when they're sick is they lock themselves away, they close the windows, close the curtains and, and hide in the dark. Uh, no fresh air, no sunshine, inability to produce vitamin D. And then we tend to take pills, it might be a, a, a doctor's pill, some kind of cold or flu pill, and then maybe a vitamin C pill. But the challenge with all of those pills is if you don't have good circulation and you don't have a healthy, fit, strong body to circulate that stuff through your body, it doesn't matter how much petrol you put in, it doesn't matter how much extra additive of, of, uh, of vitamins and minerals you put in there, if your body's not circulating effectively, will it work? So what do we do when we're sick? What do we do when we're injured? What do we do if we've got some horrible disease? Do we let our body waste away even more or do we maintain our health and fitness and our strength so that we can fight whatever is attacking us? If we've got one part of our body broken, could we still use the other parts of our body? And even if we really don't feel well, could it still be a great idea, even if you're at the peak of your bad flu and you've got a really bad headache and achy bones and runny nose and all those things that happen, what if you still got fresh air and sunshine and went outside and moved around? And I'm not talking about running a marathon and I'm not talking about sprinting up and down the driveway. I'm just talking about maintaining some form of circulation and activity, fresh air and sunshine, so that your body has, has all the ingredients it needs to get better. And if I ask this question, if you were really sick, would it be your recommendation to lock somebody in a dark room uh, take away the fresh air and sunshine, put a blanket over their head and hope that they get better quickly? Or could it be a good idea to get some fresh air and sunshine and some movement? And most importantly, there's a thing called the brain-body connection. <laughs> and obviously our brain lives inside our body. But one of the biggest killers in the world, one of the things that's really going to make us sick is stress. If I get stressed, I have an imbalance in my body. It's called dis-ease. My body's not at ease because it's stressed, so I'm in a state of dis-ease. And I have, uh, when I'm stressed, I, of course, have elevated heart rate, elevated blood pressure, elevated blood sugar levels, elevated blood fat levels, and nothing works properly. My body's fighting to try and get the blood sugar back into my cells. The blood fat shouldn't be... Uh, connecting onto the that what could be broken anywhere inside any of my hoses. There's a whole heap of disease going on in my body. So could it be a really good idea to keep my body as healthy, fit and strong as possible and as stress-free as possible? Or if I am stressed, uh, to get rid of all those things that cause stress. So when I produce epinephrine, adrenaline, cortisol, because I'm stressed, and I have elevated heart rate, blood pressure, blood fats, blood sugar levels. When I exercise, particularly at high intensity, I get rid of all of those. And now I have a brain that's filled up with chemicals that make my brain work better. And here's my last question. Is it possible that if I've got a positive brain, if I've got all the right happy chemicals, happy drugs, endorphins, and the really interesting thing, we talk about endorphins as the happy drug, and we often relate it to exercise. But endorphins themselves, the, the neurotransmitters in our brain, are morphine, uh, naturally produced morphine for pain, and uh, endocannabinoids, which are uh, 
cannabis that our body produces to take pain away. It's the naturally produced uh, painkillers inside our body. So you don't have to take morphine and you don't have to smoke dope. You can have a body that's, uh, that can handle pain because you're producing the right kind of chemicals naturally. And of course, they are produced ultimately by exercise. So if you remain active, healthy, fit and strong, chances of getting sick, very, very low, if not zero. Uh, I'll quote my sports doctor, if you exercise, there's probably a 50% chance that sometime you'll get an injury or you'll drop something on your toe or something will happen that has to recover. But if you've got one part of your body broken, the rest of your body can still find something to do to keep you active, blood flow, circulation, and most importantly, happy drugs pumping through your brain. So as an exercise professional, what do we do? What advice do we give people? Should we exercise or shouldn't we exercise when we're sick or we're injured? Uh, Could it be up to the person? And what about this? Should we be the negative influence in somebody's life or the positive influence? Should we tell people what they can't do or what they can do? Should we find a way for them to stay healthy, fit, strong and active and have circulation of, of all the great neurotransmitters that make us feel good? Or should we allow our body to get negative and depressed? I, I feel I have a responsibility and there's two things. One is to learn my anatomy and physiology and keep learning so that I can get better and better at asking the right questions. And the second part is to treat every single person like an individual so that we together can work out the best health plan for that person and it's going to be different for everybody. So the things I always ask as an exercise professional, do you know your anatomy and physiology so that you can get people really fit and get them really strong and keep them that way for the rest of their life? And then do we treat each person as an individual because everybody's different? And if people feel like we care about them, are they more likely to trust us? And if they do trust us, do we have the responsibility then to have the knowledge to be able to ask the right questions? So if you end up in an oncologist's office or an endocrinologist's office or a psychologist or an orthopedic surgeon or a sports physician's office, would it be a really good idea if you're there with your client to be able to ask intelligent questions to force the other medical professional to really think? And I'll finish with that great question. If you're sick or if you're injured, and you look your medical professional in the eye and ask this question, what do I have to do to be the fastest recovering person ever from this particular medical challenge so that I can be in the Guinness Book of World Records? What what happens to the medical professional's face? They have a change of heart. They have a change of mind. And is it likely that they'll be able to help you more effectively because they know how serious you are to recover from being sick or being injured? Could that be a great idea?